0: The other one jumped out over the counter, pulled a handgun out of a plastic bag, and told the tellers to fill it with money. Why was the gun in a plastic bag? Because you don't walk around town, Crawl, around the <laughs> Yeah, but normally, don't you, do people out. put them in their trousers? Not like, even in America. What, do people walk around with, like, Sainsbury's bags? Well, I, with guns in them. Depends on your district,
1: Crawl. Around here, we have Waitrose. This isn't <laughs> just a handgun, this is a Dutchie Originals handgun. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Smashing Security, Episode 144, Google Helps the FBI, Twitter Jacks Hijack, and Car Data Woes, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 144. My name is Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. We are joined this week by cybercrime journalist
1: and podcaster Jeff White. Hello, dare I say, friend? Oh, well, you, you said it now, and you've done it unilaterally. So there we I, are. I'm going to look the smaller man, aren't I, if I say no. <laughs>
2: Now, it's wonderful that you're with us because you're working on all sorts of things at the moment, aren't you, Geoff?
1: Well, yes, I am to my cost. Um, so I've just finished the first, actually the second draft. I'm in the middle of with my book on cybercrime, which is going to be coming out uh, next year, next spring. Yes, I've had a tiny sneaky mm. peek and it's good, listeners. Mm. It's good. Actually, you've got an exclusive on your hands here because I can exclusively reveal the title. Oh, yes, please. Ooh. Oh, God, God. Which so far I haven't done because I, I wasn't sure what it was going to be. Can we have a little fanfare, um, first of all? Can we do a little...
2: We can do that with audio magic, right? okay. But
1: well, yeah, please replace that with an actual. <laughs> Not that I'm demanding or anything, but. Uh... So the book is going to be called Crime.com. Ooh. That's a great name. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Crime.com. Snappy, I thought. Snappy. I have to ask, Memorable. I have to ask an obvious question, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Have you registered the domain? <laughs> <laughs> no, because oh. some other buggers had it for 15 years and has done nothing with it. So, why don't you register crime.com.com.com they've also got that. So yeah, <laughs> I have been down this route. I'm sorry, Jeff, I don't even know who. crime.com.com.com.com.com.com. I have tried every permutation. I'm like, "Could I put the dot at the beginning and have com.com?" No, I've tried them all. I don't have the website. Is that a reason not to? Should I change it? It's not too late. No, I, it's could a great change n- I think it's, I think it's a good know. name. Yeah, I no, think no, it's right. stick with it. What I do need though is I need the subtitle. So they've all got a, I don't know why, but all books now have to be crime.com slash. You know, oh, yes, the whole thing right here. Read it now. You know, but the the secrets to the. And I can't. One let, I'm man's
0: fearless this. journey into the underbelly of cybercrime.
1: I like that. That's pretty good, actually. Because it is it is yeah. about
0: your investigations, right?
1: Into Pissing
2: on the lamppost of cybercrime.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Both excellent suggestions <laughs> and forgive me if I don't take either of them up. Uh- <laughs> okay. Perfect. Crow, what have we got coming up this week on the show?
2: Hands up for this week's sponsors, LastPass and Detectify. Their support helps us give you this show for free. On today's show, Graham tells us how Google helped the FBI with a bank robbery. Well, investigating the bank robbery, I'm assuming, not executing it. (laughs) Jeff gives us the inside scoop on the hack-targeting Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. And if you have ever driven a smart car, you may want to hear what I've found out. All this and more coming up on this killer episode of Smashing Security.
0: Excellent. Now, fellows, fellows. Um, Mm. by the the way, it's been, (laughs) it's been, it's been pointed out to me that, um, I have been opening my section of the show by saying chaps. And I don't want to point any fingers as to who pointed out to me that may not be completely accurate gender-wise but um <laughs>
2: I think a number of people pointed yes, it out yes a number to of you. people
0: someone got in touch a listener got in touch about it and also a co-host and so ironically <laughs> yeah
2: ironically listener who got in touch with Graham about this not even 48 hours before after 143
0: episodes <laughs> I decided to go, why every time? <laughs> anyway. So, thank you very yes. much. So, fellows, fellows, um, I've got a question for you. Uh, where were you on Saturday, the 13th of October,
1: 2018? Oh, um, no f***ing idea. I don't know. Okay, let me narrow it down a little. <laughs> not not anywhere near the story you're about to tell. Do that's, you that's, that's, that's... own
0: a light green zip-up hooded jacket, Jeff? Uh,
1: actually, I do. Oh, God, where's oh, this going? Interesting. Karol, no alibi, white clothes. Kroll, have
0: you got blue jeans, black shoes? Yep. Sunglasses, gloves? Yep. Do you own a hoodie? Wearing one right now? Are you between 38 and 48 years of age? F- steady. <laughs> are you five foot six to five foot eight tall, unshaven? At the moment, maybe. <laughs> With a stocky build? No, that's definitely not me. The reason why I'm asking is that the FBI are trying to identify a couple of chaps who walked into the Great Midwest Bank in Heartland, Wisconsin. It was at two minutes after nine in the morning. They were the first customers of the day inside the bank.
2: Sheila still talking to Barbara about her weekend. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and while one man distracted the tellers behind the counter, the other one jumped out over the counter, pulled a handgun out of a plastic bag, and told the tellers to fill it with money. Why was the gun in a plastic bag? Because you don't walk around town, crawl all around the shop. <laughs> yeah, shopping but normally, don't, don't people out. put them in their trousers? Not, not like, even in America. What? Do people walk around with, like, Sainsbury's bags? Well, I. With guns in them. I don't know. I, I mean, it depends on your district, Carol. Around here, we have waitros. This isn't just a handgun, this is a Dutchie Originals handgun. (laughs) It's an organic handgun. Anyway, they left the bank with a tub of hummus. No, 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 they left the bank just seven minutes later, carrying a bag full of cash, three drawers from the vault and the teller station and the keys to the bank vault itself. And of course the police investigated and the bank had security cameras, but despite the footage being shared with local media, no leads have emerged in all the months since. And they even had an eyewitness account. So this bank is part of a a sort of mall or whatever they call them in the America, you know, a whole bunch of stores around a great big car park. And there was a shopping plaza, if you like. And there was an eyewitness account of a worker at a nearby store just a couple of doors down who the previous day had had a strange interaction with a man. Who had walked into the design exchange store in the same design mall? Design exchange store. store? I don't even know carrying, what that is. Carrying his weight back. He walked into design <laughs> exchange and he seemed confused. It's like, oh, where, where, where am I? Because he seemed puzzled as to why it was full of home decoration products rather than okay. being a bank. Uh, and then he mm. scarped when someone approached him, asking if he needed any help. So one theory is that maybe he thought he was going to the bank to stake it out. And in fact, he ah. walked into the wrong store and, whoa, 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 what's going on here? What's going on? Why am I in a okay, pottery bar? So wh- I hate
2: to be, uh, you know, yes. intellectually snobbish here, mm, 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 but mm, um, that makes me question his intellect. If he walked into a design exchange store and went, why is this not a bank? Before he actually walked in. Like surely the big sign on the outside would have told them. <laughs> and the lamps, the pictures of lamps and clocks and whatever else was Look, in the front the of the store. can
1: happen to anyone. People do walk in through the wrong door sometimes. And also, you know, I pine for the days when banks were all like mahogany and, and, and intimidation. Now you go in, they do look a bit like IKEA, don't they? There was sort a of bleached wood and, and there's no there's no counters. There's like someone s- greeting you Hi, with an iPad. With an iPad, yeah, you know, like, oh, what can we do for you? And it's like I'd like a latte. You know, they did. They, I don't blame him. I could walk into a home barn depot, whatever, and, and start Fair depositing enough. my cash <laughs> into a, into an antique drawer or something, thinking it was a. Anyway, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm with him so far. So
0: the cops' investigation is going nowhere, right? They haven't really worked out who these two guys are. So. The cops used a rather inventive method to try and locate the suspected robbers. Now, worldwide, Android has around 85% of the smartphone market. And if you think about it, 85%. If you just look at the States, Android has about 60% share, but worldwide, 85%. Mm. So if you think that many, many people, particularly of Robin bank sort of age, um might probably carry a phone around with them and many people will have not have changed their standard google settings and so they will have enabled or left enabled Mm. google location services and google location services is basically fairly regularly polling your device keeping track of where you are in the world so that you can share that information with your buddies if you wish to, right? Right. as well as being able to use it for other purposes as well. So what the cops think is, if we can serve Google with a search warrant, we can ask for data that would identify any Android user who's been sending that data within a 100-foot radius of the bank during the 30-minute window when the robbery took place. And they're thinking there's a chance we might identify either these guys or people who will have seen
1: them.
2: Mm, I don't know if I like this.
1: The word "dragnet" is coming up in my thoughts.
2: Yeah, just my issue here is there's, you've got all these people who have nothing to do with the robbery whose information are being handed over to Wisconsin police.
0: And the extraordinary thing is, at least I found it extraordinary, is this is apparently completely and utterly legal for the police to do. Really? Now, hmm. police would have to come up with some really convincing evidence if they had a suspect in mind. So, if they had a person of interest and they thought we need to investigate them and we need to go to a judge or whatever, you'd have to put. Together, some fairly compelling evidence to say this is why we need to do a search warrant on this particular individual and grab their data from the technology Mm. company. But if they Mm -hmm. do a rather wider dragnet, as Jeff calls it, of anybody who happened to be within that radius in that 30 minute time period, then they're pretty much given free reign to do it. And this kind of warrant is called a reverse location search warrant, and it's being done by law enforcement agencies around the world, particularly in America. And it's, it's not just in relation to this particular bank robbery. Last month, it was used to identify members of a group called the Proud Boys, a group of right-wing extremists, and some of them are alleged to have beaten up some lefty protesters at a rally in the Upper East Side of Manhattan recently.
1: So that's interesting. So so saying Dragnet, mm. is it? Is there an analogy here with CCTV where... If, if the bank, had, well, the bank had CCTV, the police would just grab the tapes and then go through it and see everybody's face who walked in and out. Is it is, is that the analogy that they're just simply grabbing the phone details of every phone that walked in and out? I guess that is the kind of precedent which has been
0: set, but of course, with the information from a mobile phone, that's much more identifiable, isn't it, than mm. a blurry image of someone's face?
2: Exactly, you get their name, you probably get other data, you get their IP address.
0: I think it's probably still sharing your basic gps information exactly Hmm. and you know there is a legitimate purpose for that which is if you want to share your location with your friends and family via google services then you've allowed them permission to look up where your phone currently is or indeed if you've lost your device that information is being stored by google as to where your device is
2: and I guess it's up to Google to decide who it shares it with. And it says, we need a search warrant. They present one and they say, here's, here's all the information, the information from information. people
0: nearby. There was another case as well. As well as these um, Trump lovers beating up people, there was another case where a man was arrested for murder based upon information Google supplied, only to be later released as it was found his Google account was actually associated with a variety of different smartphones and devices, ah. one of which was in mm. the ownership of his former stepfather. So, they're having a whole series of these sort of cases. Now, you're probably wondering how successful the police were in identifying those responsible for this bank robbery.
2: Well, with Google's help, I imagine it'd be very easy.
0: Well, it turns out that the police, so far at least, have not named or arrested anyone in connection with this robbery. So, the investigation continues, which either suggests that these two bank robbers turned off their location history and <laughs> location. I'd like to services. think so.
2: Although they did walk into. Uh,
0: or might no. they have been iPhone users, which maybe is another way to defend yourself as well.
2: Well, if they're successful bank robbers, they've uh, they probably can afford <laughs> the uh, latest iPhone tech.
1: So does this not work on an iPhone? Then?
0: Well, suddenly there, there are services whereby you can share your location on iPhone as well. Mm. I, and I think they are enabled by default. I have to remember, I th- I'm pretty sure that I had to turn off on my iPhone all kinds of location tracking things, some of which was being used by ad services, for instance. What I'm unclear about, maybe we can have listeners contact us if they know, is whether Apple itself has access to that information, because quite often Apple will design mm-hmm. these things so that they themselves don't have any information they can share with law enforcement on this to avoid this kind of much to, you uncomfortable know, much to law
2: enforcement's uh,
0: yes, frustration. Indeed.
2: So, Graham, are you advising that robbers now just leave their phones at home? Is that is that the whole point of this
0: story the story? The good news, Carol is that we've got no bad guys. Listen to our podcast. Everyone who listens to our podcast oh, thank is a good. God person. for that. So I shouldn't say guy, should I? I shouldn't say guys. I should <laughs> say fellows. Every, yeah, uh, well... All <laughs>
1: Um, Jeff, what's your story for us this week? I know it's a couple of days old at the time of recording, but I do want to talk about the Jack Dorsey Twitter hack. The Jack attack. The Jack hack. The Jack attack. The Jack (laughs) hijack. Hijack, (laughs) Jack, hijack. Hijack. (laughs) I mean, it's useful that his name is also a sort of assonance type thing for various ways to describe it. Um, So yes, this was Jack Dorsey's Twitter account, and obviously Jack Dorsey being the boss of Twitter. His Twitter account was hijacked very briefly. I think it's about 20 minutes. And a series of inflammatory tweets were sent out from his account. One of which talked about a bomb threat, I think it was, at Twitter HQ. There were references to far-right stuff, a bit of reference to Hitler, very salacious stuff. The account uh, got closed down. They obviously sorted out the problem. There's no longer salacious tweets coming from Jack Dorsey's Twitter account. So on the surface of it, embarrassing, obviously, for the boss of Twitter to have his own account hijacked. And then there's a whole issue of, well, how did this happen? what's emerged afterwards is it seems Jack Dorsey's been the victim of uh, the SIM swap, the Mm. classic SIM swap attack. Not an expert in those particular things, but as I understand it, if I'm a hacker and I want to take over your phone account, for example, I'll phone up, I'll find out who you're with, you know, 3 or BT or whoever you're with, you know, and I will phone them up and say, oh, I'm I'm a customer of yours and I've got a a new SIM card in my phone and I want to attach my number to this new SIM card. And obviously I'm the hacker doing it, so it's not my number Mm. at all, it's your number. Now, the mobile phone company will then often try and establish, you know, are you the customer? So they'll ask for maybe a date of birth, mother's maiden name, address. Anything available on LinkedIn. Well, yep. exactly. Yeah. So those, that's <laughs> the problem. Basically, if I can grab enough information about you, I can phone up your mobile phone company and effectively hijack your mobile phone number. Uh, And your mobile phone number then becomes the number on my phone that I've got my SIM card in. Now, usefully with Twitter, they have a system where you can tweet using just a text message. So I can send a text to a particular number, and that text, if it's linked, if your phone's linked to your Twitter account, that text will become your tweet. You will have tweeted the text, effectively. Mm. So it's a really handy way, (laughs) on the face of it, to get (laughs) tweets out.
0: Well, you know, I at first thought, why on earth would someone want this kind of feature? Why would you want to send a tweet via SMS? Um, Mm, rather than using your smartphone app, for instance, to to send a tweet, which is going to be a much easier process. But then I thought about it. As I was robbing a bank in Wisconsin uh, a few months (laughs) ago, I realised, well, I I don't really want to carry a smartphone with me, do I? Because Google are going to be tracking it. So I'll just take this old (laughs) you know, 1990s dumb phone with me and then I can just keep up to date on Twitter via SMS message.
1: There were, I mean, there were some really good reasons, I think, for the SMS, Twitter, well, some good commercial reasons. As you say, if you don't have access to a smartphone, so in countries that are less economically developed around the world, there's less smartphone yeah. penetration, they can net update by SMS. And also, if you're not near Wi-Fi, or if the Wi-Fi gets shut down, I know there were instances in which the government was trying to shut mm. down Wi-Fi networks and so on, being able to just text through a mobile phone mast was useful. So, you know, all good reasons. Mm. But the issue I've got with this is, Everybody's reporting, okay, Jack Dorsey's Twitter account hacked and, and and used and so on. It does mean that for a period of at least 20 minutes, possibly more, hackers had access. Well, effectively, they had Jack Dorsey's phone in a way. They had his number under yes. their control. I mean, does that mean if anybody phoned Jack Dorsey during that period, the call went through to them? And, and if people sent text messages, did they get text yeah. messages and so on? Isn't that the risk that if your number's hijacked, it's way beyond just being able to tweet from your phone? That person is then they have your number and whatever's going on with your number, they have. So I'm interested as to how far it went and and to what kind of access that gets. But the other thing about this is Twitter sort of said, look, this wasn't a failing at our end. We believe this was a mobile phone operator failure, i.e. mobile phone company may have inadvertently allowed this SIM swap to happen. I've spoken to young hackers in the past for whom SIM swapping is, is just stock in trade. It's what they do, blagging their way into a Twitter account, basically, or into a mobile phone account. So, I was interested in this, you know, how much information would you need? And usefully, perhaps not usefully, my partner lost her phone recently um, and has had to go through a very similar process. She's got a new handset, but an old SIM. So she wanted to go to, and I'm going to say the mobile phone provider because this is good for them, three, the mobile phone provider. Hmm. She put the SIM in and said, well, you know, Phone three and said, I want my my old number from the phone that got stolen, got lost. I want that number now on this SIM. And three said, oh, you have come into the store. And by the way, we need your passport. We've got to photocopy your passport to prove it's you. So clearly there are some mobile phone providers who are really checking a lot of detail before they're assigning your old number to a new SIM card.
2: Why do they need my passport? <laughs> Why do they need a photocopy? I'm
1: sure Jack Dorsey actually would be the kind of person who'd say, "Well, hang on. I wish they had checked passports because then I wouldn't have had my Sim hijacked." So, uh, see, so yeah, there's lots of interesting fallout. Tough. I don't know. Look, the whole thing about using your using your phone as two factor authentication, I, I just have issues with it. So, not mm. in the catabag, but this isn't the first time a partner's phone has gone. There was another phone lost in in India and she she won't listen to this will uh, she I
2: hope I just, not. I'm just thinking of marital relations right now <laughs> <laughs> I
0: want
1: to keep them I want to keep them nice and <laughs> Oh, cool well, nobody listens to this
0: the secret, um, the secret <laughs> of a happy relationship is you never get any loved ones to listen to, to your listen podcast listen to your
1: stuff yeah Exactly. But no, so, so a phone got stolen in India, and of course it was used by my partner as a two-factor authentication thing for her, her Gmail. So from then on, yeah. we'll know more access to Gmails. So it just felt there was a single point of failure with this phone. And I, I think if you're using it as two-factor authentication, you've just got to think, right, if, if I lose this, what actually happens? So I, I myself haven't gone down the whole mobile phone as two-factor authentication route, for good or for ill, but those are my, those are my concerns with it. And Jack Dorsey's hack seems to kind of exonerate my my position. Well, I, I, this
0: this whole SMS two-factor a lot of people are quite down on the idea of two-factor authentication via SMS because of the danger of SIM swap and the thought that someone else will be able to break into your Gmail account or whatever account mm. because they get the code texted to them. My feeling is it's better than no two-factor authentication at all. Hmm, And I'd hate for people to be, I mean, I I would prefer if people had a hardware key or if they had an app authenticator, maybe on their smartphone or some other device for their two-factor authentication. But if you don't have that for any reason, I would rather you had SMS-based two-factor authentication, even though it's not entirely secure. It's better than what most people are doing. But I think you're right to raise this alarm as to, well, what are you going to do when you lose your mobile phone? How are you going to handle that situation?
2: I've had that headache. It's, yeah. it, well, my phone broke rather than lost. But yeah, yeah, same issue, right? Because that's my default place to do yeah. the multi-factor and suddenly it was out of commission.
1: Yeah. I know it's controversial, as I say, but I just think that debate is opening up because people do need to mm-hmm. think if your phone goes, what are you going to do? You know, if your phone gets lost.
0: I, I, I also feel that Twitter isn't entirely, you know, maybe even Jack Dorsey himself is not entirely blameless about this because although I don't normally like to blame the victim, I mean, he is the boss of Twitter and he can change the way that Twitter works. And Twitter, by default, opens up this SMS gateway for people to use on your account. Hmm. And my feeling is, well, why is that enabled by default? I would expect most Twitter users don't have a requirement for that. And so-
2: yeah, it's, so it's functionality like, and ease of use over security, right? right? Okay. There's a constant battle. But if
0: there is this problem of mobile phone numbers being hijacked and then used- to tweet without authorization, then why isn't there more of a safeguard? There should be a PIN which you have to add, a numeric PIN, so that when you send an SMS, mm, you have to add 551 or something to the end of the message so Twitter can say, oh, this really is mm. a text message from this person rather than someone who's spoofing the mobile phone number or someone who has grabbed it through a SIM swap fraud. Good thought.
2: Good. Something else for us to remember.
0: Well, Crow, you don't have to remember it at all because you're not using SMS for tweeting, are you? No, certainly not.
1: Yeah. I don't tweet. So <laughs> You tweet. I do occasionally. A little bit. It's a very special day when I do. As a postscript to this, Donald Trump has inevitably weighed into the debate. Uh, and I think was either asked about this or commented on it and said, I don't care if people get into my Twitter account. All they're going to see is the tweets I've done, right? Um, this this man is head of the world's most powerful countries. So I think actually if somebody did break into Donald's Twitter account, we might get more sense, more sanity in the world. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, by the way, the other thing is this was carried out by a group calling themselves the Chuckling Squad. Yes, and the fact they called the Chuckling Squad makes me wonder: linked to the Chuckle Brothers, TV tricksters? To I'm just me, putting it out there. To you, to me, to you.
2: No, it's my turn. That's me. That's me.
1: <laughs> Carol, what have you got for us,
0: rather than references to 1980s uh, BBC children's TV stars? <laughs> Jeff, are you partial to cars? Do you have a fancy car?
2: What
1: kind of car do you own? Uh, No, I've got an old Nissan Micro. It's 20 years old.
2: All right. So you're like me.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to drive my car into the ground. But Graham, you are driving a smarter car, aren't you? I wouldn't call it smart as such. It does beep a lot. If if, If I drove bad, actually, it beeps all the time. Yes, if I'm driving badly, yes.
2: Yeah. But, uh, but you know, cars today are much smarter than they used to be, aren't they? Because, for example, if you were in a bad mood, Graham, mm-hmm. and you jumped into your car, you might just go to your playlist, Bluetooth up your phone to your car, and then blast your favorite songs. Probably the Doctor Who, <laughs> you know. Doctor Who Megamix, you mean. Exactly. Doctor I, imagine, Who I imagine
1: that's what it's called anyway.
2: <laughs> and you know, your car collects your GPS information. So where you've been and yes, how long you've been true. there and time yes. stamped mm. on which days. And people also use it to open their carports, right? You put in little codes so that your garage door opens or that your gated community, if you're all la-di-da, you know, the gates would open. Mm. And there's also this stuff called vehicle telematics. Have you heard of that term? This is the tech that sends and receives and stores all the info that controls a vehicle remotely, be it stationary or on the move. Mm. So does your car occasionally when you're driving and you go over a line, does it kind of try and jerk you back
1: into lane? Um, no, my, my partner does that. <laughs> <laughs> I've yeah, got mine too. In-car device. That, uh, Human. Is, Human's yeah. always the best way
0: to go. Ah, you're in the wrong
1: uh, no, but I know what you mean. Yes, there's, there's cars, aren't there, that automatically steer you into the lanes and all that kind of Does stuff. Did yours yeah. do that, clearly? It doesn't automatically steer me, no, but it,
0: it would It would sort of buzz and beep. It, it can automatically stop if it thinks or slow down if it thinks I'm about to hit something. Right, right, right. Which I have tested on occasion. So it has some some kind of quote-unquote
2: intelligence. Yeah. And all this tech is great, say many, many millions of users. You know, how wonderful to blare your device's playlist via Bluetooth and how wonderful to access step-by-step navigation, you know, instructions on a large built-in screen. I mean, my car doesn't even have cup holders, <laughs> which is just
1: my biggest beef with my
2: car. I don't want any <laughs> of the smart stuff. I just really wish I had a cup holder
1: for, for hot coffee because it's really hard.
2: <laughs> to hold I hold beat
1: that. My car's... My car's got a tape player. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. I have to get tapes from people. To play. <laughs> have you any idea how hard they are to track down these tapes? Oh, wow. Mixed tapes. I've got mixed tapes. I love it. Car. Literally oh. mixed tapes. Anyway.
2: Let's say you have this fancy smart car of yours, Graham, and you drive it around for yonks, right? To and from work. Oh, yeah. That's not very far for you as you work from home.
0: <laughs> but to and Up f- and down the stairs. Yeah, to, yes. to and
2: from your conferences, <laughs> right? When you're doing your errands and you're shopping, when you're off on holidays. yes, yes. yes. Uh, and you realise that the mileage is getting up there and you think it's time to trade it in.
0: Right. Would mm-hmm. you think
2: of completely cleaning and sanitising your car oh. from your
0: existence? Do That's a really good point. Yeah. it's. I mean, to be honest, I probably wouldn't think about that, no. If
1: indeed you know how. I mean, it's a...
0: Yeah. Yeah. In I, I, I might sort of wipe the uh, r- the radio, you know, if I'd preset it to some embarrassing station. I might <laughs> like wipe what? that. Like what? Pray tell? I don't know... <laughs> So, <laughs> <but> <laughs> you can't you know, be talking might, about Radio 4 right now. I'll tell you what I have done, actually. I'll tell you what I have done. I have wiped um, the, uh, the sat-nav in the past because, of course... Clever. You, because, of course, you might put, you know, friends and family's addresses in there. Mm, and yeah. I, I was, and, and one of the things I do is I don't set an address as home- for instance, because I always think if someone steals my car, I don't want them knowing how to get to my house.
2: Yeah, right. I, so, yeah, mm. I do that so too. So instead, I, I, I,
0: I just put in the city where I live, and from there I know how to get back to my house. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Because I think if you were doing a private sale, you might think – you might be more alert on that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But if you right, were right. going back to a dealer to do a trade-in or to upgrade or whatever, yeah, you might assume – That the dealer is going to wipe all that clean for you before they put it back on the market. (laughs) And the problem seems to be that the onus is on the driver to get rid of the information before they trade or sell the car. Because there's so many and probably a growing number of interdependent and fully independent services that are all working both without even paying attention to each other, and some are cooperating to get you the information you need. Like, up ahead, there's traffic. Mm. And it's very difficult for a dealer to be able to reach an individual car to go through and wipe all that, mm. because it could be many, many different services, depending on what car you have, what model, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. So U.S. car industry executive turned privacy advocate Andrea Amico told The Register – Infotainment systems, even from the same manufacturer, come with a variety of both hardware and firmware. Even within the same manufacturing year of production, variances between models can go from small to huge. If it was truly easy and intuitive to delete information, we would not see the statistics we see. Mm-hmm. So basically, people right. are not cleaning their cars. Yeah. So it's up to us, the dear owners, to wipe our smart cars before trading and selling them in. The question is, though, how do you go about doing that? Mm. Consumer Report put together a pretty solid list of advice. First of is unpair all Bluetooth devices. Now, I think most people would think about Mm. that. You pair your devices with your car so they can make and receive phone calls and receive and send texts via speech, not typing away as you fly down the motorway. And you even can create a mobile hotspot in your car and have internet available to your passengers and drivers. Mm. So all that information can be stored either in the car or in the car's cloud server, or one of the cloud servers that is made available to your car. So that brings me to my second point, log out of any cloud accounts. Now, apparently inside your manual for your car, there is information on how to ensure that you're getting you're off all the cloud accounts. So take a look at that. Um, but certain automakers store cloud accounts uh, with driver data, you know, including radio presets right. like you talked about, favorite temperature settings, right, navigation destinations, driving history. And you might want to make sure you're logged out of all those before you get rid of your vehicle. Remove tracking devices. Now, Graham, isn't this what you were speaking about a few weeks ago when we were talking yakking about Mercedes? So this is where auto dealers and banks and insurance companies may attach tracking devices to your car just for when they're setting up financing and coverage deals.
0: So I think many of the threats which you've been talking about here have been a threat to the seller rather than the new buyer. But there is a problem in so much as if the seller doesn't, for instance, disconnect their car tracking app from your car, the new one which you've bought via the dealer, then there's the potential for the previous owner to know where your car is and maybe even unlock it remotely via the app. And take it back. And take it back or who knows what. Yeah, good point. And so there is this huge problem of dealers not properly wiping the car because you can't necessarily trust the previous owner to have done it, mm. as we've discussed. But sometimes they may not do it with actual malicious intent.
2: And what we've learned here, though, what I've learned is you actually can't trust the dealer to do it either. Mm. Not because they're necessarily too lazy to do it, but because they don't actually know how in you know, yeah. lots of right. cases. So I think that's a safe assumption
0: for you, the user. Even if there's a few about you, don't yell at me if you do know how to do it. <laughs> well done, you. But Well, they may not have access to parking who knows there may not be a may not be a method of doing sure
2: sure yeah now this is an interesting one right resetting the vehicle's telematic services so this is telematic services provide uh, services to the vehicle drivers for either a subscription or for any other arrangement right maybe it's a one-off sale and these can be emergency services or information services to help the driving experience
0: can you not simply order kit to wipe telematics (laughs) That's (laughs) That's the, <laughs> why I would It just sounds so sci-fi, doesn't it? You have to wipe the telematics of your car. What on earth? Listen to the advice of how to do it. Okay.
2: Blue Link Ford Pass and OnStar are services that can send data from your car to the cloud even mm-hmm. if you don't have a current subscription. And their analysts at Consumer Reports advises that you look for an SOS or call button on the rear view mirror or overhead console. Press it, and you'll be connected to a live operator, and that is how you go and change the what? account owner. What?
0: Oh, because so when you make the SOS emergency call, you say, "I'm actually only ringing." Sorry to waste your time. Just like my account wiped. <laughs> this is my GDPR request to be forgotten, which I'm making here what? by pressing the button. See, I know well because I've 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 had cars in the. Pass which have these buttons which claim to cause i've never ever dared press them because i'm too scared as to whether it's going to be the ejector seat to say even if i've had a crash i would never press that button i'm just saying you may want to if you saw your car just, just
1: to make sure i just can't okay. believe all these buttons I've, I've got hazard warning lights and i've got the rear miss <laughs> really mr and that's it those are the buttons i've got don't you feel lucky yes, i feel yeah, lucky. me too yeah. He is like, he's got mixtape. I, I pressed the wrong button in my mum's car a little while ago, and I just had this horrible feeling that I was driving along and I'd wet myself.
0: But it was, <laughs> yes. the, it was the seat,
2: you know, the heated seat thing. Where oh, you, I
1: hate a heated Grave seat. Graham and I
2: have an ongoing war. I'm oh. 10 years old now with the heated seats of, you know, secretly whenever we have to travel together, putting on the other yes. person's yep. heated seat. Very we sec- for in his car. Yep. And then he just them. starts sweating. Watching yeah. them I scream. feel like I've
0: got a tropical disease. And then I realise I've just got Coral sitting next to me.
2: Yep. Well, I've shown his son how to do it, so he's <laughs> taking the baton now. Um, now, Graham, you brought up GTPR, and very good point, because that occurred yes. to me as well. So mm-hmm. this could be a really yucky issue for car companies if they don't step up to figure out how to wipe cars from PII data. Because think about it, right? I don't have a smart car, mm-hmm. but you do, and you have connected your phone to your smart car, and all your contents are likely to be stored in a car tied cloud server somewhere, which means I, my information as one of your contacts is also there. So, how is this really different from Facebook and that scandal where
0: um, people that weren't members of Facebook or users were actually
1: their well, information was I, I, don't, I
0: don't actually do that with my car. It, it is true that you can. I, I believe there is even. A way of accessing Facebook via my car, but I obviously and Twitter, and I wouldn't allow any of that nonsense. So I, I simply use it to listen to podcasts. So I don't actually connect know, to it, any hey, accounts or something. Lots but. of
2: people out there do though.
0: Very good that you're, people people that, that you're better, that you're actually
2: do. security aware. I was
0: just testing. I just want to say I'm <laughs> better than
1: the rest of you, yes. But you're right, yes. It's, it's the stuff that's in the car, actually in the physical car itself that's stored, that you can probably wipe, I guess, if you get to it. But then the, the issue you raise about the cloud, where mm. it's all got sent off to another server somewhere, yeah. and you, A, didn't even know that was happening, B, have no idea how to recover it and get it back or wipe it, and C, it potentially stays with the car. So even if you did wipe the local copy...
2: Yeah, I see. I'm wearing it staying with a third party that's working with the car manufacturer mm. of which there may be, you know, hundreds, depending on what services you require. Mm. And they're the ones who are storing the information. So you, you, you might thinking, Oh, I bought a, you know, whatever Toyota, BMW, whatever car, fancy car with the smart stuff. Mm. And who knows who's actually holding in data. Now, as you can imagine, I was pretty smug when I was researching this story, right? Cause I'm not a smart car owner. And Graham knows I'm very good at being smug. So there I was, smugging away. (laughs) And as I was researching, I came across this older article penned by upcoming guest John Layden. And his piece raised a really scary point, car rentals. Hmm. So everything I've talked about here, even if you don't have a smart car at home, if you happen to rent one when you're off on holiday or on a work gig and you plug your smartphone into its little, you know, or connect by a Bluetooth or, you know, get some Wi-Fi going in the car. And that is a problem now because give me a break. They're cleaning any cars before they transfer the
1: renting to someone Mm. else. Mm. We actually, that happened. We, uh, not to bring up my partner again, but we, we were <laughs> <laughs> source of all Poor tech, <laughs> tech insights, my partner. We, we hired a car and sure enough, she plugged her phone, connected her phone up, and we were stunned to see, you know, 400 names, names and phone numbers pop up on the, on the dashboard. Oh, crumbs.
2: Perfect example. Exactly. We-
1: did mm-hmm. test this so when we unplugged the phone and disconnected the Bluetooth, the numbers disappeared from the readout on the dashboard. But you've maybe wondered now whether they disappeared from the car or, or a cloud server somewhere.
2: Well, according to John Leighton, this article, this article was about, I don't know, I think eight months old. But he he wrote, drivers normally get a warning when they hook up to their car through Bluetooth, but this is omitted when a USB connection is made. So Mm. motorists can unwittingly transfer their smartphone contacts and call logs onto the systems of leased or rented cars. Mm. And that is seriously scary to me because, yeah, I've probably done this like loads of times. And I've never thought about wiping a car, you know, a rental car before. So I've learned something super valuable yeah drop every friend or contact with a smart car i do (laughs) graham never buy or rent a smart car again in fact i probably should avoid leaving the house altogether because it's just too scary out there so this is the new me crawl the hermit
0: whatever your industry detectify can help you stay on top of security and build safer web apps just enter the name of your website And Detectify will run over 1,500 security tests against it, identifying real problems with a list of constantly updated vulnerabilities submitted by a global network of over 150 hand-picked ethical hackers. The service can even help you discover web assets like unknown subdomains and determine if they're vulnerable to hostile subdomain takeover. So what are you waiting for? Go hack yourself. Take a 14-day free trial at www.smashingsecurity.com/detectify detect with an i f y on the end <laughs> and thanks to them for supporting the show
2: Hey, Graham. Yes. There are people out there with companies a little bit bigger than ours. (laughs) And one of the issues that they face is visibility and oversight. And when it comes to cybersecurity, that is super important. So listeners, listen up. If you do not have a password manager in your organization, please check out LastPass Enterprise. They offer centralized admin oversight and control shared access and automated user management. All this stuff makes you... Your life easier. Plus, you can even use LastPass' single sign on to protect all your cloud apps and give seamless access to employees. Check it out at lastpass.com forward slash smashing.
0: <laughs> and welcome back. And you join us on our favorite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone. Ch- oh, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done that before. We haven't had Jeff say Pick of the Week.
1: I, I just thought that you'd drop that because because every guest like me forgets to do it or doesn't know they're supposed to do it. I just thought you'd learned your lesson. <laughs> but no, we still have to do it. Fine, OK. It's in the contract. Leave, leave the awkward pause and I'll try and step in a bit late as I normally do. Jeff,
0: Pick of the Week! Pick of the week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they have read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website, or an app. Whatever they wish. Doesn't have to be security-related necessarily. It could be occasionally. Not necessarily. (laughs) Now, my pick of the week this week. Oh, my goodness. A sad moment for everyone. Like me, who's a bit of a Doctor Who fan of old, because one of the godfathers of Doctor Who, one of the great luminaries, Uncle Terry himself, Terence Dix, has died. He died earlier this week, and for Aww. those people who don't know, Terence Dix was someone who not only uh, wrote the occasional Doctor Who story from the 1960s onwards, um, but he was also the greatest Doctor Who author of all time. He wrote over 60. Novelizations of Doctor So, when you say greatest, mm. you mean most prolific. He was the most prolific, and in some ways, he really moulded what Doctor is. And I'll tell you why he is great. To to a whole generation of boys growing up in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, Terence Dix is probably more responsible for getting me and those other lads to read books than anybody else. So, and like J.K. If- Rowling. If no, not like J.K. Rowling at all. I mean, okay, maybe J.K. Rowling has had a tremendous impact on people as well. But Terence Dix wrote scores and scores of books. And when lads in the 70s and 80s were Mm. asked by the English teachers who their favourite author was, there's bound to be someone in every school class who said Terence Dix. Mm. And truth be told... It wasn't watching Doctor Who on TV, which made me a fan of Doctor Who. I believe it was actually reading the old Target novelizations of Doctor Who stories because Doctor Who was never repeated. You couldn't get it on video in these days. In those days, you couldn't get it streamed. Your way of recreating what you'd seen on TV was to go and read the book and yeah. reread it. And That's re-read a very
2: good it. point. That's true.
1: We, we were allowed at my local library three books at once. You could check out three books in the kids' section of the library. I used to book out, check out three Doctor Who books, read them all in a day, and go back and get three more, and I did that. So, yeah, oh, I, I remember those days of like absorbing
0: Jeff. Doctor Who books. That's very sweet. There's a wonderful tribute by Rob Sherman, who himself wrote a Doctor Who story in 2005, uh, published in the New Statesman, all about how Rob was a young lad with a stammer who met Terence Dix and interviewed him, and what happened, and how Terence Dix inspired him to become a writer, which Rob Shim did. You can go and read it. It's linked in the show notes. But as a little bit of fun, in honour of uh, Terence Sticks and his passing, I wanted to play a little game with you. Now, because I've now discovered that Jeff White has read a fair number of Doctor Who books... Has him, I think, yeah. When I was
1: seven I, or whatever, yeah.
0: I, okay, okay. I'm going to read out the names of three Doctor Who books and give you a little summary of what happens. And you have to work out which one I've made up. (laughs) Okay, so now the game begins, right? Two of these are real, and one of them is made up. First one, Doctor Who and the Danger of the Cybermen, a fantastic story where uh, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker, took Sarah Jane Smith and Harry Sullivan to the Folkestone Literary Festival. At least he thought he was going to, but he mistakenly landed in a quarry. Who could believe Doctor Who could do such a thing? On an airless planet on the outskirts of the unknown universe. That is Folkestone. (laughs) Having been the sorry, sorry to people of Folkestone. So that's one I want you to consider. The next one is Doctor Who and the Planet of the Spiders. Sarah Jane Smith again, because she's the greatest Doctor Who companion. Uh, <laughs> she visits a Tibetan meditation centre in rural England, where a group of middle managers are trying to summon up a spider from the planet Metabilis Three.
1: <laughs>
0: and the final story I want you to consider is Doctor Who and the Brain of Morbius. Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith sent by the Time Lords to the planet Khan, graveyard of spaceships. There they encounter the mad scientist Doctor Solon. So, which of those
2: You're are real, own, and which of them
0: is made up? I so had a life. <laughs> the danger of the Cybermen, the planet of spiders, or the brain of Morbius, Jeff? Have you got any feelings on this
1: one? I, I'm I just got a feeling I'm going spiders. I think spiders is the one you made up. Just the middle, the middle managers bit is is just a classic cluelessness. I'm thinking.
0: Well. I have to say, Doctor Who and the Planet of the Spiders is a genuine oh, Doctor Who story. Oh, <laughs> no. a good job, Clue. Was utterly made up by me, uh, complete with a really rubbish title. I thought that would make it seem more likely, calling it The Danger of the Cybermen, but there you are. Anyway, um Terrence Sticks, what a chap. Fantastic and mourned by Doctor Who fans all around the world. So he is my... Not just pick of the week. I think it's just pick of a lifetime. What a great impact he had on me. Mm. Yeah.
2: My, my husband was very sad too. Yeah. So RIP yeah, Terrence
1: Jeff, what is your pick of the week? Controversially, my pick of the week is going to be my own podcast.
2: Good. <laughs> Should be. It's a great podcast.
1: Something which not to give the game away, I was put up to by, by exactly. someone. Um...
0: <laughs> Have you got a podcast? You've got a podcast, Jeff.
1: I have. I have got a podcast, weirdly, yeah, called Cybercrime Investigations, actually, since you ask. Is it available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all good podcast apps? It is. It is. Well, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud, you can get it on as well. And if you just look for Cybercrime Investigations and My Ugly Mug, you'll find it. And what's it about, Jeff? (laughs) Well, it's about the investigation, wait for it, of cybercrimes. Um... When you're trying to research this stuff, often a lot of material gets left on the cutting room floor. And when I talk to my mates and my family about this stuff, it's often the dead ends and the bits where it's not going well that they're most interested in, they find most interesting. So that lovely yeah. polished version that you put out at the end saying, ah, oh, we investigated this and I found this and here's the story, it ignores two thirds usually of what you've actually done, which is that didn't work out, that was the wrong guy, I went to the wrong place there. And but but actually that stuff is quite interesting. Um so so that's the whole point of the cybercrime investigations thing is to sort of <laughs> milk the, the rest of the investigation <laughs> I don't normally talk to people about. But uh, but also it's it's quite fun. Um and I work with a lovely guy uh, called Glenn Goodman, who's a, he's a fellow journalist, but knows nothing about tech, so that's quite interesting. I useful. love you so two I, together
2: actually. I think you guys make us such a
1: good pair. It is good. He's 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 got a, a great sense of humour and as I say, also asks the kind of questions that I need to be asked to kind of explain stuff. So yes, cybercrime investigations is the thing I and mean, we've done ones on uh Talk Talk, we've done ones on the Bangladesh Bank hack yeah. and uh and we did one on um, what was the other one we did? We've done various ones anyway, so you can you can catch up and listen. And it's about uh, ninety minutes long each one of them, perfect length, I'd it's say. It's really enjoyable. Uh, and I,
0: I have to say it's it's one of my favourite cybercrime podcasts. <laughs> very kind. It's equal first with 538 other <laughs> ones. No, I I know it is, you know it's genuinely uh, I'm just reminded of that de- episode of Desert Island Discs. There was not there some famous opera singer who went on Desert Island Discs and chose 12 of her own oh. records. <laughs> <to> <laughs> <laughs> I was just to having her. a drink
2: of tea. Did she really? I don't know yes, that yes. I, Was that it was a long time ago before I got here.
0: I, I think it was a long time it may have been. some I like never Roy heard that I've You've just funny. been terribly polite. Know, Absolutely funny. brilliant.
1: I mean surely after record number 3 you'd be saying <laughs> Do you like anyone else? Anyone else's work? You wait. No, no. Here's another one by me. I love it. Crow, what's your pick of the week?
2: Well, my pick of the week this week is a podcast.
0: Sorry, Jeff. Oh. I should totally have had yours. Is it about cybercrime? <laughs> is it hosted by someone called Jeff White?
2: I'm talking about a podcast called Intelligence Squared. Now, overall, this is a great, great, great podcast. I love it. And you'll hear an Ray of very smart people talking about, talking rather deeply about specific topics, actually. And uh, that comes out every oh. week. And it's great. Oh, good. Now, the most recent Intelligence Squared pod that came out features a person I'm really into. I like her books. I think she's smart. She's a scholar. She's an author. And she's named Sashana Zuboff. Oh, yes. Yeah. And last year, she published this massive tome of a book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism, which I'm reading slowly and very much enjoying. It's just such a heavy book. My arms get tired because <laughs> I got a hardback. And, whoa, sometimes it's good. You know, it's good for the guns, but... This pod is a great intro to Shoshana's work. I've heard her on a few pods, but I really love this one. She talks about how Obama ran the first political campaign that showed the power of targeted advertising. Yes. Right? And he had the main Google gurus advising him on how to do all this. So it's like politicians are conflicted because they can directly benefit from the infotech that is infringing on the people they swear to serve and protect. Mm, Right. Which is an interesting dilemma. Right. She also talks about Facebook, which she says and we all agree, has largely been self-regulated for a decade or more since its inception. But, of course, since Cambridge Analytica and everything else, the waters have been heating up, and Zuckerberg has needed to shift his public perception. So she says, and I paraphrase here, as Zuckerberg is presenting himself as privacy woke, yet the irony is that privacy fundamentally contradicts everything that makes Facebook lucrative for its shareholders, Aka him. Because, you know, he has to right. wear black diamond-crusted pants, I'm sure, on a daily basis.
0: Sorry, is is that the American definition of the word pants or the British? <laughs>
2: British. I'm sure they'd
0: be much <laughs> oh, more comfortable. Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> slightly. Chafe slightly.
2: Right now, she sees Zuckerberg And she says he's planning the move to centralize legislation, because if the legislation is centralized, you have a lot more representatives that have to agree, and that waters down a law. Then Zuckerberg can target all his lawyers and whips and, you know, whatever, what's the word called? Someone who sways? Lobbyists. Lobbyists. Lobbyists, Right? To Mm. that central jurisdiction. Obviously, also can ensure that these elected officials can enjoy the benefits of things they provide like targeted advertising. So this is just two, but quite big, massive points, I think. And they're just crammed in amongst others in this tiny 40-minute podcast. So go check it out, Intelligence Squared, um, with the wonderful learnings from Sushana Zuboff. And then go buy her book. And that's my pick of the week.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Crow. And I think that just about wraps it up for this week. Um, Jeff, I'm sure lots of people would love to follow you online, or maybe give you suggestions on what. Or you go should listen do to about... your
2: podcast.
0: Yeah, yeah. Listen Any to your podcast. Yeah. You know, give you an idea for the title of your book or what domains to purchase. Uh, what's the best way for folks to get in touch with you?
1: Uh, Twitter's the easiest way, and I am Jeff with F White, like the color, and two four seven because I am twenty four seven seven days a week, Jeff White. <laughs>
0: Cheese. and you, fromage but i love it <laughs> follow you can follow us on twitter as well at smash insecurity no g twitter allows to have a g and we've got an active community up on reddit uh just go to smashinsecurity.com slash reddit and it will take you automatically there
2: and once again thank you to this week's smashing security sponsors detectify and LastPass. their amazing support helps us give you the show for free And thanks to you, you classy, classy humans. Be you a listener, a Patreon supporter, a reviewer. You are the gravy on our mashed potatoes.
0: Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Are you a big fan of gravy on mashed potatoes?
2: Oh, yeah. Peas gravy. It doesn't have to be – I'm not talking meat gravy. It can be veg gravy something, but a nice gravy, right? but mashed potatoes, peas and gravy, maybe yeah, some I'm, a few roasted I, carrots, I'm in heaven.
1: Yeah, onion gravy. You know yeah. what
0: I am too. I don't know why I'm questioning that. That is pretty pretty awesome, isn't it?
1: In fact, I will share if I may Graham's feedback from the book uh, where at one stage I talked about the gravy train coming to a halt, <laughs> to which point Graham's feedback in the in the text was, "What, there's a train for gravy?" <laughs>